Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com, register to vote, click on the Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast category where you can then vote for us to win. Now, you will have to listen to the other nominees as well, but let's be honest, you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today, which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance. Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it, and we thank you in advance. And everybody who votes for us, we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for an interview. Yes, we are back to interviews. We've recovered from Beijing, I think, still uh, living up everything that happened during the Winter Olympics. But we're back to Summer Olympics today. We're going to be speaking with a Tokyo Olympic bronze medalist, two-time Olympian, world champion, two-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist, and the number one fan of beef in this country, uh, Kelsey Lee Barber. So excited to bring this chat to you today and uh, learn so much about her journey to winning that bronze medal in Tokyo last year and everything else in between as well. Kelsey gives a great uh, insight into what made her choose Javelin, uh, immigrating to Australia and sort of pursuing that and how the Olympic dream was spurred on by arriving in Australia during the Sydney Olympics, which really sort of helped her through there. And some real great insight into the mentality of javelin and the physical side of it as well obviously kelsey lee is our first ever javelin throw on the show which you'll hear me talk about in just a moment so very exciting great chat here that you are going to enjoy so here is our chat with a two-time olympian olympic bronze medalist world champion and two-time commonwealth games medalist kelsey lee barber Very excited to speak to our guest today here on Off the Podium. She is a two-time Olympian, an Olympic bronze medalist, a world champion, a two-time Commonwealth Games medalist, and somebody who freaking loves her sport. I just wanted to 
point that out there. Uh, it's so exciting to speak to our first ever javelin throw on the show as well. Kelsey Lee Barber, who is with us now on the show. First of all, Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here on Off the Podium. Yeah, thank you so much. Excited to have a chat. Have you got the t-shirts made yet of I freaking love this sport? Like I, I really think there's the, a merchandise chain here that you can do like an animated pitch with you with a javelin, you know, sell it out there. I mean, it's it's got to sell itself that right now. I'd buy one. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say there might be something in that. Should look into yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. I think as soon as soon as you have one of these quotes that is kind of like heard by the entire country, right? Like it's just, it's, you've got to market that right now, like, and just put it out there. You could have like, I freaking love this sport.com. And then people go to it and straight away, they're learning how to get into javelin. Like, there you go. That's, that's, you get the kids involved. So just helping you out here a little I bit actually, at the beginning of the interview. Yeah, of course. And I actually think, um, I, in that moment, you have so much going on. There's so much adrenaline. You have like <laughs> brains all a bit fuzzy. I actually completely forgot that that's what my opening statement was in that post <laughs> post game <laughs> interview. So <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and watch it now. It, the, the best bit I think about it was that after the closing ceremony, when channel seven do their little sort of montage, you know, which I love, I think it's always fantastic, but I think they even, if they didn't lead with it, it was involved in that. So while they're showing all these like highlights to like classical music and slow-mo of all the great moments of the game <laughs> they cut to you with i freaking love this sport and so, oh look at that there you go so you were even using the yeah, end I, of the olympics montage <laughs> i figure if i've made a montage job done that's that's yep. what you want because those things give you goosebumps most of the time oh, yeah. so yeah awesome. tick tick it off the list now i i as i said you're our first ever javelin thrower that we've ever had on the, on the show we've had multiple people from from different field events and i'm always intrigued to kind of learn how it was javelin that you ended up choosing essentially to pursue so uh sort of what led you yeah. to making your life out of throwing a, a large is it a stick or pole what's the politically correct term i can i can use here oh i think it's it's closer to a stick definitely okay all right we'll go with stick then a point <laughs> yeah this is a funny one because i think over the years of explaining how i got into the sport and how i ended up where i am a lot of it came down to part of it was a good fit for me the event chose me as, as much as I chose the event because there's definitely a distinct point in my life where uh, I competed at a national schools championship meet I won it and from that moment on I just sort of felt like my destiny was laid out for me I wanted to be a javelin thrower and I wanted to go to the Olympics for javelin and I wanted to compete in javelin at every major event and be the best at it in the world so I just was in, yeah, as I say, in that moment, and especially reflecting on it as I've gotten older, I uh, just realized how much of a pull towards the event there was for me and just how much of a good fit it was. In terms of Olympics in general, I believe you'd sort of always aspired to, to go to the Olympics. So outside of athletics, had you been involved in many other sort of sports to pursue this Olympic dream? Could we have seen you at the Olympics in something else besides athletics? I think it always started out with athletics. Uh, I was a very keen netballer um, early days, but no netball at the Olympic Games. So <laughs> that one kind of got bumped a little bit to begin with. And then, yeah, it was athletics and it was really just figuring out which of the events was going to be a good fit. Uh, I actually was a discus thrower to start off with. So I was always a little bit more inclined to the throws events. And I actually really loved discus. It was probably my first passion in the sport. But as I said, um, as I got a little bit older and as my body matured a little bit, um, there was just something so exhilarating about throwing the javelin and I, I fell in love with it. 
and I still love it to this day. Is there a, a point where you sort of you're starting athletics and you kind of realize I'm going to be maybe more of a field athlete than a track athlete, or were you always sort of designated towards the field events and and running maybe wasn't something that was for you? Uh, definitely the second. <laughs> I was always inclined to field events. Yeah, it was either like the throws, as I said, or it was a uh, long jump, triple jump, uh, and then even occasionally high jump, but I wasn't especially um, good at that. I think the one track event that I, I loved and uh, I tried to continue with it for a number of years was the 200 meters. But other than that, it was it was field all the way. I, I, I noticed nobody ever says pole vault because that's just where one of those ones where like, okay, you might be able to throw something, you might be able to jump something, you might be able to, you know, kind of do that. But nobody, does anybody ever when you're doing field events go, hey, I'm going to try the pole vault because that is one of the weirdest events there is in sport, isn't there? I actually think it's one of the coolest events. I must give them credit. And um, there were just some events which I wasn't given the opportunity to try um, at a young age. So it was hurdles, pole vault and hammer that have actually never even attempted um, because it just wasn't offered uh, at my school carnivals at that point in time. And then it was only as I got to regional and state level events that um, you'd see those particular events being participated in, but I hadn't qualified to compete in them. So, yeah, I think, um, again, as I got a bit older, those events also seemed harder to try for the first time. (laughs) So I just stuck to the things that I knew well. Now, I believe you you were born in South Africa, moved to Australia. And if I'm not mistaken, you you moved to Australia around about the time of the Sydney Olympics. So kind of was this when you came to Australia, was that what spurred your passion for the Olympics? Had you sort of grown up in South Africa watching the Olympics or was it literally you've come to Australia in the midst of our entire country being so obsessed with the Olympics that that kind of just sparked this passion for the Games? Yes, it was definitely the fact that uh, I had never experienced an Olympics. I didn't really know what an Olympics was until we came to Australia that year. And as you say, it was just just the hype of it. And I know that Sydney Olympics is iconic. It is generally one of the most highly like spoken about Olympic Games. So there was just so much involved in it. And this idea that you could be a professional athlete and compete at this on the stage that was the Olympics really just like blew up my world. I was, <laughs> it was just this thing I hadn't even considered was possible. And suddenly I'm seeing, watching people on TV um, competing in something that they loved. And I think the thing that I still love about watching sport nowadays is just um, the passion and the dedication that athletes show towards their events and not just in athletics, but in all sports. So, uh, yeah, it captivated me. And uh, I think from then on, it was like, cool, this is, this is really something that I want to, um, try and pursue. Do you then write yourself sort of like a goal? I know, uh, Nicola McDermott sort of had written a future letter to herself, you know, one day, (laughs) dear future Olympian, do you, do you have anything along those lines of, Hey, like, you know, dear future Kelsey Lee, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm going to be an Olympian. I think it'd be really cool if I did. Uh, it'd be amazing <laughs> to share those stories or pull out old um, letters and drawings and things, but I probably kept things quite internal through um, my youth. And every now and then when I was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was, I want to go to the Olympics. <laughs> but no, nothing written down, which is a shame because I think those are um, this awesome memorabilia to hold on to and reflect on. So I'll probably yeah. encourage my children in the future to write down their goals or at least... Um, 
in some way put it down on paper. I think that's, that's a really wonderful thing. Um, I certainly do it now, um, a bit more into like my adulthood. I've always written down my goals for the seasons to come. And as I said, it's the best feeling when you get to reflect on that and say that you were able to achieve it. So is this just also writing things down? Is this just something that we're learning with the Australian track and field team that with Nicola and the diary, like, is this, you're now taking this on board that, Hey, like she got silver, I only got bronze. So maybe I need to write more in the diary. And that's, you know, taking it a little bit more seriously heading towards Paris potentially. Oh, I think um, a training diary is something I started when I um, sort of got into the world of athletics and it sort of became part of being a professional athlete. Uh, and I've always been really diligent in forward planning, setting out goals, what I'm working towards, because that really um, solidifies why you do it day in and day out. And, you know, we talk about having umbrella goals in what we want to achieve in the sport and what I want to achieve in this life of an athlete. But then you come down a few tiers and you have goals that you set out for each season um, or even, as I said, like each major championship. So uh, it's really, it's for anyone out there, it doesn't have to be in sport, but it's, it's, it's so lovely to have something to work towards um, every day. And especially uh, given this last year through COVID um, that was especially important just to, remind yourself why you're doing it, but also to take time and reflect on, as I said, the, the bigger picture of why we continue in this sport um, overall. The one thing I've always been interested about with Javelin, sort of with all the throwing events, is is the unique aspect that you've got more of a running aspect to it than, say, mm. in the discus or the hammer, which is obviously starting from a stationary position. When it comes to sort of the training and maybe when you decided, hey, I'm going to switch focus to Javelin, how is that balance? Like, as a javelin athlete, how much are you focusing on the strength aspect of I can throw the javelin this far versus a I've got to work up on that speed aspect to pick up some speed when it comes to throwing the javelin? Yeah, and this is a, this is why I love javelin. This is part of what makes it so exciting to um, to train for. Is it really encapsulates so many elements? It's hey, we have very. De- the delivery and that has to all come together for the javelins to fly well. So the training part of it is just as exciting. Um, We get to do running based activities. We get to do jumping based activities and then we get to do the strength side of it in the gym. But then we get to practice the the element of actually throwing the art of throwing. And there's, as I said, there's that part of it alone, um, which stands out for me and the subtleties of technical work but then it's the overall athleticism of being a javelin thrower that I really love training for. And is there a percentage you can put on it that the run is say 40%, the throw is 60%, like fit, like, I mean, kind of when it comes to, if you're throwing it, you know, over 60 meters, does it all come down to just a, a perfect balance or is there one that is more important than the other? No, it is, it is, has to be seamless from start to finish. And this is what I try when I talk about the throw, I always say that the throw starts from the very top of the runway, the moment you get off the mark, because a lot of the throw comes back to those elements of power and speed, but there has to be like rhythm and finesse and involved with it as well and that starts from that very first step uh, and then it has to roll through right to the point of release so if you can tie all those elements together that is when your throw tends to come through um, seamlessly and is it a sport where you know i remember sort of you don't really see it a lot now but 
you know, the likes of a Carl Lewis, those sort of people who could do the long jump and the sprinting. Mm-hmm. Can you recruit sprinters and teach them how to throw because they're fast? Can you recruit a, a discus thrower or a hammer thrower because they know how to throw? They've just got to work on that. Or is it really a, an event that you need to be starting at a young age and you can't really pull people from another one to give it a try, if that makes sense? I actually think, again, javelin's one of those ones that um, we're very unique in that we're not very body type specific (laughs) if that makes sense so it's kind of cool like a javelin thrower um it's kind of all shapes and sizes and funnily enough a lot of really good javelin throwers have come from multi-events in the past we've had some really good heptathletes be um international um medalists if not at least um competing at world champs and olympic games and i know some of the men's javelin throwers as well had a background in decathlon so i really feel like um if you've got you know as i said like running or jumping based elements in your training you could very easily come across and they're gonna um help you be a better javelin thrower but same if you're more inclined to just the throwing events to start with uh discus um or shot put or hammer like you've got that throwing element and you clearly love the throws so there's absolutely no reason why you can transfer that across either when it came to the focus you've switched to javelin now this is kind of your your one event um you first represent australia when you go to the commonwealth games in, in 2014 but what was sort of that period like when I've switched focus now to Javelin to eventually getting that first Australia call up. I mean, was it a case of just working your way through the school system, the state system? I mean, sort of were you on the cusp of the Australian team before the the 24 Commonwealth Games and making it finally you're like, yes, here we go, I'm there. I mean, sort of what was that whole period like? Yeah, so uh, actually this is probably really great to sort of explain in terms of the number of years it took to make that first team because – Um, That moment for me where I decided I was going to be a javelin thrower was in 2008. Um, And then I finished school in 2010. Gee, my math, I'm having to go back here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I started, end of my schooling year was when I decided that that was, javelin was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to prioritize javelin. in what I did. So I still went to uni and worked those years, but I really tried to focus my attention on, on javelin. Uh, but yeah, it took me uh, another four years before I made a team and I had a pretty wow. significant injury in 2012 as well that um, didn't like, caused me to step back and make a decision as to whether I was going to rehab it to try and have a go at making an Australian team or whether I was going to rehab it just to continue on with, sort of weekend activities. Um, so that was quite a big moment in my life where, again, I was sort of um, had to make a decision on was this what I wanted to do and was I going to keep pursuing it to the highest level? And it was an absolute yes for me. So, yeah, there was there was quite a number of years there where I had to just put in the work. And, again, a lot of it was just about getting my body ready or m- m- more prepared um, to throw at the level that would require me to make a team. And what is that moment like then sort of when you you get that eventual team, you've made the Commonwealth Games, you're going to be representing Australia. I mean, does it make through all that, everything you were just mentioning out there, worth it a little bit extra when you kind of, you're qualified, you, you are representing Australia at a major international event? Yeah, I um I find this really funny because I was expecting this 
really big kind of like shock hit you moment when I made that team or when I um, first went into team camp or when I entered the stadium or when I stood at the top of the runway in round one of the competition, but I actually never had that moment. And I think a lot of it for me was I had prepared for so long um, to make that team and be part of it and throw my best at it that I think I, I prepared myself well. I, I kind of believed that I was meant to be there and that I had earned my spot in that team. So, yeah, I I never really had that like shock moment, which I don't know, not not too like upset about. I know I've heard athletes in the past talk about um, having that moment. Uh, I think mine came for me more when I wore the my Olympic blazer for the first time because again, that was maybe that was where my my goal, my big goal, my heart had always lied was um, making an Olympic team. And I always felt like a Commonwealth Games and a World Championships were always going to be really good um, stepping stones or progressions to helping me get to that level. Which would have been a completely different story had you pursued netball because hmm. I guess the Commonwealth Games alongside a netball world championship is is the pinnacle of, of yeah. netball, whereas obviously for track and field, uh, you know, you'd rank Commonwealth Games, what, like a third or a fourth kind of thing sort of on the tier of, you know, global events. But And also it's, it's kind of I mean, it's your job. You've said at the end of school, like, I'm going to be a professional athlete. Yeah, I've made the Australian team. I mean, that's just like, oh, yeah, I, I, I got that promotion from <laughs> yeah. you know, Jenkins in the office. I was expecting that and here we go. Let's keep moving forward. Yeah, and I feel like maybe that's um, a lot of my my personality to some degree. I sort of... I set myself these goals of like achieving these things. And when I do it, it's kind of just like, excellent. I've done that now. What's the next goal? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've sort of had to learn over the years to really take time to, to sit back and just sit with the fact that I've been able to achieve something that I, um, I set out to achieve. Uh, Cause I'm always very quick to move on to, to the next one or what's the next thing ahead. I'm very hungry for excellence and <laughs> the pursuit of excellence. <laughs> And I'm imagining in a sport like javelin, I mean, with any, uh, you know, track or field event, you know, there's kind of that barrier that you want to get to. I mean, is, is javelin the 60 metres? Is that sort of getting to that throw of a, a 60 metres? And do you remember that first time that, boom, I've achieved it, I've, I've cracked the 60 mark and, and now this is this is going well? Very much so, yes. <laughs> the 60 metre barrier is definitely the first one. And then I think the 65 is the second one. The third one I feel like is a little bit funny. I feel like it sits somewhere between like that 68 to 70 metre mark because there are so few women that um, have hit that top end 60 metre range. But, yeah, I very much remember the first time I threw over 60 metres and I um, very much remember this, the time I threw 65 metres for the first time. Great. Which, I mean, like this is the thing I love about Javelin is that I don't think people realise how far that is to throw <laughs> A stick. Like, let's be honest, you are throwing yeah. a stick. But, like, that is a bloody long way. I mean, yeah. we're obsessed with the 100 metres at the Olympics. I mean, that's more than half that distance. Mm. Uh, that That's insane. I mean, like, it just it just must be such a proud moment to kind of crack that moment then the 65 and, and just realise how freaking far that actually is. <laughs> yeah, how freaking far. And it's really, really cool when you get to see it um, side on in a stadium. I think this is what, again, this javelin is just so fun to watch from so many different angles because as a thrower, I always love watching it from behind because you get to see a little bit more of what the athletes are doing and how they put the energy into the javelin. And when you see it fly from behind, it's a totally different picture. But when you see it fly from the side, 
as you say, it is so cool to then appreciate how far that distance actually is. Um, so yeah, the amount of time it actually spends in the air is one of the best parts about um, this event is that I get to deliver it, but then I get to watch it fly and I get to watch it land. So um, the whole process is actually a, a lot longer and you get to enjoy it for a lot longer um, than I feel like some of the other events. <laughs> Well, I, I, that's true. I mean, any of the jumping events, you're experiencing the distance by landing. Um, mm. Even with uh, hammer and discus, it's kind of got the same thing there. But like, you've got sort of that that delivery and kind of everything, and you kind of you're with it the whole way. Which yeah. I can imagine, like the adrenaline aspect of it. You know, mm. what everybody loves about the field events is, is the clapping. <laughs> let's get the crowd involved, all this sort of stuff. You're obviously known for your clutch throws, which we'll obviously talk a little bit about. So it's kind of getting that aspect, and you're watching it, and you're seeing it land and it's just yeah all that yeah kind of yeah <laughs> very much and um this is yeah oh i love talking about javelin <laughs> you freaking love this again. sport come on come on we know this oh <laughs> uh, no i think it's it's exactly that like we we have that moment where at the top of the runway you have to be so composed but so free with your mind to allow your body just to to throw it but then if you're uh, someone like like me who enjoys the crowd atmosphere or that little sting in your belly when you've got um, just that like jolt of nervous energy. Uh, like those are all elements that kind of bring the throw together that I really love about um, competing at the top level in this event. Um, and then as I said, like you, you have to put that throw together seamlessly without letting those external elements influence how you're going to deliver the throw um, and then trusting yourself with all the work and all the training and your body to just deliver it. And at the end of the day, throw the stick. <laughs> yeah, throw throw the stick. How, how fast is the javelin going? Like if you're throwing that thing at the, the peak at an Olympic final, oh. like what's what's the speed? Oh, there, there have been numbers thrown around, but I, I off the top of my head, I can't remember. I know that we're somewhere between like running down the runway um our speed hits like tw uh, 20 meters per second maybe right oh i don't even know that's so to put it into <laughs> context if, if you if you threw the javelin at the same point the 100 meters run would a same bolt get to 60 meters before that javelin did no i think we'd be quicker right there you go so we'll use that i'm quicker than a same bolt simple <laughs> For 60 meters, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go exactly, that. exactly, exactly. You can you can say that. I would be the same bolt in 60 meters. Like you don't have to go into the technicalities of that, but yeah. hey, you can use that as well. So just to, to kind of put that out there. Now, <laughs> just to pump up my confidence a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. I always think like people should use these, you know, a, a little bit more and kind of go along with that. Um, Commonwealth Games 2014, you get the bronze, Gold Coast, silver so are we just calling this right now birmingham your gold medalist like this is already a lock it kind of seems to be that progression right that we're moving uh, up the, i think the that's ranks. the only way it can go right like yeah yeah i, I, I like patterns my career with a complete step like there's nothing else to say <laughs> but what, what is it? you sort of you talk about that you know kind of almost like this is just business as usual i've, I've made the the team I, i'm representing australia but when you sort of do leave your first international competition with a with a bronze medal i mean how do you kind of leave those games and, and and feel like is it a case of wow this is this is going pretty well I, i've got that confidence international competition behind you which i'm sure is very different to competing on the national stage i mean kind of how did that all affect you moving forward 
Yeah, I think it was a little bit of, um, there were pros and cons involved with it. I think having achieved that certainly showed that I was very capable and I definitely held my own in that standard of competition. So as I said, I, given my nature, I was sort of like, cool, so it's only up from here. Like it's a straight linear trajectory to the next championship and I'm going to do better than that. So um <laughs> yeah, I think it was great in terms of like coming back and feeling confident and wanting to keep improving. I think that was awesome. But a Commonwealth Games for me um, was a very different experience to my World Championships in 2015. Just the level of um, professionalism, uh, the level of throwing that comes out of World Championships, uh, the business-like temperament of those games is completely different. And that really was a whole new experience for me in 2015. And that's where I felt like I fell short a little bit. Um, I sort of, uh, I guess I expected it to feel a lot closer or more similar to the experience I had at Commonwealth Games. Um, that wasn't the case. So I definitely, um, 2015 was a big learning experience for me. And how did that help then on the path to to Rio? Did you kind of take more from that then in the qualification process and, and did that help or sort of hinder where you thought you might be going into Rio? I definitely thought that the World Championships ex- experience was really helpful uh, in the progression for the next two years, actually. I just got a much better sense of what it was going to feel like to to be in the mix and be amongst that. And as I said, I think, for world still Olympics and a Commonwealth Games because those are multi-event games. There's um there's big village life. There's um lots of experiences to be had outside of uh the stadium itself. But at a World Championships, it's literally track and field, and it's you know that World Championships crown is I personally hold just as high as an Olympic gold medal um, in terms of what you're trying to achieve under the circumstances of those games. So, yeah, I hold them on the same level. I think there's there's something in that. Uh, so, yeah, the 2015 um, definitely gave me much-needed experience and exposure to what to expect in future years. I always love hearing about that aspect, sort of you mentioning that the village and multi-sport sort of tournaments because – you're right, like a world championship for any sport is just that sport. You know, I mean, mm. maybe if you're a swimmer, it can kind of be considered because you've got diving, you've got artistic, so it's a little bit that way. But athletics, your track or your field rights. But, like, it is, I guess, I imagine experiencing a village, experiencing that you're bumping shoulders with the swimmers, you're bumping with that sort of stuff. And we always like to find out about the Olympic sort of experiences when it comes to sort of, uh, you know, village life. But... You mentioned the Commonwealth Games a bit more relaxed. I mean, did, did you find that sort of relaxed atmosphere now being two Olympics, two Commonwealth Games is sometimes more enjoyable? That it kind of helps you compete a little bit at a Commonwealth Games that you're maybe not, I don't know, taking it, I don't want to say you're not taking it seriously, but you're not taking it as seriously as you would be at an Olympics, if that makes sense. I, uh, yeah, I do. I find it particularly hard in um, these multi-games scenarios because, yeah, I I want to be there for for the for the event for my event and very business like, but there really is there's so much to experience um, outside of that and uh, in a non COVID year as well. Like you get to be a part of other sports, watch other sports, cheer on other teammates. So there really is 
there is so much to enjoy about that, but I've, I have never really let myself experience that side of the games or I haven't yet because I've always gone in with such, again, a really like high goal for myself. And I know the best way for me to achieve that is to kind of stay within my own little bubble, um, stick to my routine as much as possible, um, make sure that I'm looking after my body, not doing too much outside of what I'd normally consider um, in my training week. And then it's it's the mental side of it and emotional side of it as well. Like um, if you kind of experiencing or exposing yourself to all these different parts, that's that can be very draining. Um, so, yeah, I tend to kind of hide away a little bit, <laughs> um, stick to myself or um, Mike and I tend to just continue or try and keep um, as much as what would be considered normal in those games. So uh, I don't regret it. Uh, I think I've had the success I have had because I have stuck to that plan. But yeah, I can't walk away with um, the stories that other athletes have about those Olympic um, or village experiences because I haven't necessarily had them myself. Do, do you at least allow yourself a five-minute moment at a closing ceremony when, say, Kylie Minogue's performing? Okay, Kate, right, this is worth it, right? <laughs> Kylie Minogue's there. I can just – five minutes I can relax right now and party. Yeah, so, I mean, after my event, sure, I am I'm, – <laughs> all about it, but I didn't get to, to do that um, at this Olympic games. Um, 2016 Rio, it was, I was so disappointed by my result that I probably shut myself off a little bit to enjoying that. Um, so that came with its own kind of, yeah, I just wasn't in the mood um, kind of to say, but from my 2014 and 2018 Com games experiences, I had a fantastic time with my teammates um, after I competed. So, yeah, I have those memories to hold on to for sure. Want to want to talk about Rio. You, you touched on before about sort of not really having those, you know, big moments when you make the Australian team, but the Olympic blazer moment. Uh, I mean, just we always love to hear those moments of, of qualifying for an Olympics and everything along those lines. I mean, was it the moment when you got the blazer when you realised, shit, I'm an Olympian, this is my childhood dream? Or was it when you'd qualified? I mean, kind of that whole, I guess, experience around qualifying through to getting the blazer. I mean, that must've been a pretty amazing experience. Definitely. And there were probably two moments for me where I think it really sort of sunk in that I was either in the process of, or had achieved uh, what I had set out to do, um, you know, eight years previously. So it was the night that we were awarded our um, official boarding passes to say that we've been selected on the team at our um, annual athletics awards nights after nationals. So that was the first time that I felt like, wow, this is happening or this is, this has happened. I've achieved this goal or I'm about to. And then the second time was when we had our opening ceremony. We were just um, the small track and field team in our Florida training camp at that point in time. So we weren't even um, in the village yet, but we all got to dress up in our Olympic uniforms and we had um, kind of our own opening ceremony. And that was really special for me. Um, it is such an honor to put that blazer on. Um, I feel like that's one of the proudest moments for me wearing that. And even to this day, every time I put it on, it's something really special. So yeah, that, that for me stands out as um, a pretty epic moment. <laughs> because I, I, as somebody who loves to collect pointless 
crap and then like <laughs> I, I spend money like I'm literally sitting here right now my team is straight it's modern pentathlon I don't quite have javelin unfortunately but hey I'll send one to um, you <laughs> thank you know. thank you yes uh yes uh but like I could imagine those moments when you do get and it's and it's not just the blazer like you're getting your your uniform that you're going to be competing in and and I believe yep. you still get the swimwear don't you like with the, yeah. the olympic ring everything you're not a swimmer but you're like you've got to train in the pool right so like you're getting basically a suitcase filled of australian olympic swag which yeah. i mean you never want to get rid of that right like that's like in a special place that you're going to hang on to to the day you die surely yeah, <laughs> yeah and i'm pretty sentimental about this um i i really feel like each athlete that has qualified and um, represents the country with that uniform is it's something pretty special to them. And yeah, I don't ever want to get rid of it. I know yeah. it just most of the time just sits in the suitcase, but yeah, I definitely, uh, I got my world championships uh, singlet framed actually. And I plan on doing the same with my Olympic singlet this year. Cause right. they, again, those competition singlets have so many stories um, attached to them. And they're definitely something, um, I personally want to have around to remind myself of, um, the journey that took to get there. And is it the same too, with like the little competition bibs, like with your name on it, that you kind of got like a little, I don't know, a folder or something kind of with every single one of those somewhere as well. Yeah. I, (laughs) um, early days are probably like kept all my competition bibs. I think I've got a stack of them still at my parents' place, but, (laughs) um, it's probably just the, major championship ones um, that I hold on to nowadays. <laughs> you, you mentioned, obviously, you left Rio sort of not too happy in terms of with how you go. I mean, what did you set yourself a target for? Was it making a final, winning a medal? Uh, and, I mean, how how hampered were you sort of with, with injury kind of going into Rio? <laughs> so, uh, again, this is funny reflecting back on where I was, how naive I was <laughs> in my world of javelin. But, yeah, I'd set out to Rio to be at least in the fight or contention for a medal. Uh, it was definitely not meant to be that year. I suffered a stress fracture in my back. Yeah, it was diagnosed in March, just in 2016. Wow. So a lot of my preparation for the Olympics that year was uh, just about returning to the sport. And I just did not have enough training behind me to put myself in a position to throw far enough to make the final, let alone contend a medal in the final. So I don't think I ever stopped believing that it was possible. Um, And this is a lesson I guess I've learned over the years um, is that there's only so much that, you know, hoping things will come together works out. I think maybe once or twice I got lucky in my career um, when things hadn't lined up to say, okay, I can still achieve this, but I definitely don't want to go into a championship again, just hoping that things will come together. Um, I really want to have the backing of my training um, and that element behind me without just this idea of like, oh, I'll just, you know, hope that it'll come together. And that's a lot of what 2016 ended up being for me. I, I mentally just like kept that goal alive and kept that dream alive by just hoping that it would happen. But in terms of sort of reflecting on it now, can you sort of look back and think, well, I had this pretty nasty injury, what, four months out from an Olympics and I'm still able mm-hmm. to go and, and compete? I, I, I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but I mean, that that's pretty amazing to be able to recover from that enough to still be able to compete in the Olympic Games a couple of months later. Yes, and I've definitely, uh, as I've matured and, uh, as I said, had time to reflect on that, I think I've probably just been... Uh, 
been able to appreciate um, what I've put my body through and appreciate um, the recovery elements and the dedication it took to to get to that final. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there was a lot. Maybe I didn't learn a lot from the competition itself that year, but I certainly learned a lot in terms of um, what I was able to achieve in terms of that commitment to chasing down goals, definitely. Um, and as I said, like the the fire and the the desire to achieve that goal never burnt out, even while I was injured. It almost just made me more dedicated to to doing my rehab well and ticking off every other box that I could possibly do to help me um, work towards that. So, and that still stands true today. I think if anything, it just solidified the fact that those are the things you need to do um, in order to achieve big things. It must have worked because obviously between Rio and then Tokyo, uh, things start to go quite well. Tenth at the World <laughs> Champs in uh, 2017, silver as we mentioned at the Com Games, and then a little improvement in Doha, uh, little gold medal that you did kind of walk away from uh, from the World Champs. I mean, you, you touched on before about sort of holding up that World Championship medal up there with with anything and, and the Olympics. I mean. Do you remember sort of going into that that event similar to what it was, uh, what we saw in Tokyo, you know, your last throw that you get the gold medal with? I mean, moments like that, like, I mean, how can you put all of that experience in into words from the going into it, this is what I want to achieve, to literally walking out with the gold and, and doing what you no doubt have dreamt about for most of your javelin career? This is a really great question because I was, I was actually just talking to Mike about it um, last week, he asked me something similar and I said, no, my experiences in uh, Doha compared to Tokyo are actually completely different. And I was a completely different athlete at both of those championships. And I think the big one for me was Doha. I'd had a really awesome season leading into that games. I had hit PB after PB. I had so much confidence and self-belief in what I was capable of achieving. Um, I had a minor... I had a shoulder niggle that, you know, I kind of just, it was there and it was going to be there. So the confidence I had around everything else in my training just meant that that kind of just was part of the package that year. And on the day, we'd just find a way to kind of push the pain aside because I knew that I was capable of achieving something really awesome at that games. So that was, that was the version I had in 2019, but in, in 2020, <laughs> or 2021, sorry, I had this other version of me where I had no distance kind of backing me into this, this Olympics. I sure I had my experience from world champs. And I think that helped to a degree because um, I sort of believed in the fact that I could stand up to the challenge and could produce something really special when it mattered most. So I certainly took that element and that experience with me, but in terms of how, how to trust my body, how to push pain aside and um, have all the confidence in the world in my technical model, I had none of those elements available to me. What I did have and what I think really shone brightly at Tokyo was the fact that I was so set on achieving this goal and it only ever comes around once every what should be four years. 
I remembered how devastated I was in Rio and not getting anywhere close to it. I sort of didn't want to let this opportunity pass me by. And I was so mentally ready for that competition. That is how I was able to perform the way I did. I was, I was so present. I was so alive in what I wanted to achieve on that day. And I had this burning fire of this goal that I just wanted to reach full stretch and have a go at. And that was so different to Doha for me. So it's, it's really cool to be able to, to talk about and reflect on these experiences, because I guess from an outsider looking in, it was kind of like, oh, a medal and a medal. But how I achieved those medals were actually really, really different. Just quickly on that, while you're mentioning that burning fire and, and everything that you take into Tokyo, on that final throw then in qualifying, is that literally like you've put all that into a bottle and you've drunk it and gone, fuck it, this is everything I need to do and I'm going to throw the shit out of this javelin and it clearly works. <laughs> I got caught in a really weird space in that qualifying round because <laughs> I I just had had, um, I'd had a, a small niggle six weeks out, which meant that... Um, I couldn't load my foot very much. So I hadn't had much throwing, I hadn't had much load and I hadn't had competition. So I was kind of going in and again, very mentally ready for it. The most calm and collected I'd felt going into qualifying, knew what I had to do, knew what I knew what to expect, but I got caught in this weird space of just making things look really like pretty, just kind of like, <laughs> okay, we're just going to throw the javelin. <laughs> I had forgotten about the reason, like why I was there. Like, you need this to qualify for the final. <laughs> so after two pretty shit throws, kind of sitting in like 29th, which is worse than what I'd finished in Rio, I was like, not today. This is not happening today. <laughs> I just got in, I, I just sat down, kind of like held my head between my hands and I was like, I'm, this, I'm not going out like this. It was just so in that moment, just like, there's your path again. You know what you need to do. Sort your shit out. Get it done. <laughs> and it was things like that. It was just that, like, I don't know. What do you call it? Like stubbornness that I wasn't going out. I, w I was going to be in that final. And it was just about, like, doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to fly pretty, but you have to hit it hard and you have to hit it with everything you've got because I, I would be so disappointed in myself if I walked away from that, not making the final, but also regretting that I hadn't just like given it a crack. Like if I just hadn't left it all out there, uh, I would have been more disappointed in that element than if I'd had a go and it fell short and I feel like, okay, well, that was literally all I could have done today. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to flick that switch because I definitely carried that over into the final two days later and I sort of started where I left off in the qualifying. Um, and that's, yeah, I guess that's that's where I want to be. Um, I want to be free enough to, to just like take those big leaps, um, not just in major championships, but in every competition. And uh, I guess I'm still still working towards that to some degree. I think I hit that more often this year than I have in previous years, but um, it's it's still something I'm working on. There's another t-shirt idea in there for you as well. Sort your shit out, get it done. Just, just <laughs> freaking love this sport. Sort your shit out, it's get so it done. Relevant. Yeah, yeah. So many people buying those. 
oh, it's, it just comes down to that. Sometimes you just put everything else aside. You know what you're there to do. So just go and get it done. <laughs> exactly. And also, too, in qualifying, not only yourself for the final, but with Mackenzie and Catherine making it. I mean, I remember watching that and that you had Dave Colbert and Bruce McAvaney trying to go through history books to see if Australia had ever qualified three athletes for a field final. I mean, when you've got freaking Bruce McAvaney scrambling the record books, you know you've achieved know, something special. <laughs> he knows that shit off the top of his head. He doesn't need to do it. I mean, that must be pretty special, though, to, to have that notion that you've got basically a quarter of the final are Australians. I mean, pretty yeah. good chance for him. It could be a sweep, could be the, the complete the podium there. I remember people um, who'd watched that session that night saying they'd never seen so much green and gold on the track and field before because I know we had um, a few of our distance runners competing that night as well. So it was like gold here, gold there, gold running around. And I was like, boom, we just made history. Three women in the final making the top eight. Like, it's awesome. I'm How awesome to be part of that though. And I'm so cool seeing uh, other javelin throwers from other coaches and other parts of Australia um, come together and and do that. You mentioned mentioned sort of taking that feeling from, you know, that final throw into the final. Obviously, it's a couple of days in between the qualifying to the final. How do you maintain that sort of like, I guess, momentum or kind of feeling? Is it just limited distractions as you possibly can do stick to your routine i mean do you have any sort of things that kind of you would do to really stay in that zone in between the qualifying and the final yes the the most important thing i've learned um over the years and we've really stuck to our guns in the past few major championships to to make sure we do this really well and really thorough is debriefing that qualifying session, making sure that we talk about whatever we need to talk about so that we can, we can leave it. We can park it, pull out the one or two things that we know are going to help or be good for the final. And then it's just like, right, literally wipe your hands of it. That's done. And now we go into that same preparation that we would for any other um, javelin competition and we work towards that. So yeah, it's a very similar routine. Um, as I said, I, I do become a bit of a hermit in those days because I know what I need. Um, I know what my body needs and I know what I need mentally um, in order to, to be prepared to throw again. Um, and the two days was longer than I've ever experienced before. And it probably felt like two of the longest days. But I, again, there is some comfort in having those routines set up because it's familiar and that's what helps me um, feel most settled going into competition. Um, yeah. So as I said, the, the main part is just that that debrief and pulling out the, the few things that will help us plan to be my best in the final. I always love learning about the psychological aspect of any sport from any guests we've got on the show. And how is that going into an Olympics as a reigning world champion that you've kind of got a target on your head that you maybe had never achieved before and are there psychological things that you can kind of do to try and psych out your other opponents like yeah I'm the fucking world champion you better watch out for me or is it a case of shit I don't want this on my head I'm going to kind of go back I mean kind of how can you use it to your advantage or is it more of a disadvantage I think I knew from the moment that I won my world title that that was always a possibility uh but I really tried to embrace it I almost like having that little bit of fear element around me and I think Hopefully, uh, I think I've kind of 
put a name about myself to say that I'm, you know, don't rule me out until my final throw. And I really love that. I, I really like that I can stand up in that round six and have people wondering, is it, can she still do something? Is, is it possible? Um, so yeah, I want to maintain that. I think it's an awesome card to play. And yeah, as I said, I really try to embrace what having a world title meant um, going into competitions because I worked hard for that and why not? Yeah. <laughs> are my two things like, yeah, own it. Absolutely we, we, own it. We, we talked to, to Matt Denny about sort of, other psychological aspects. He, he talked a little bit about some mind games. He liked to play with the competitors, <laughs> you know, a few little things he might say in passing as he walked past uh, another one of his, uh, you know, opponents. Is that something you've ever tried to do at all? That like, sounds kind of- like a very Matt Denny thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Matty. No, I, maybe um, I'm less of a verbal psych. Um, I probably become very intense. You can almost probably see the intensity intensity radiating off my body and i think it comes across in a little bit um in my facial expressions i think there were a few comments after watching me in tokyo about um my resting bitch face and my game <laughs> face <laughs> if Another you're ever doubting what t-shirt. i might be thinking in a final yeah. um just always look for the eyes and the mouth <laughs> you'll probably figure it out pretty quickly <laughs> Which one is Kelsey? Which one is she? Okay. Oh, there she is. There you go. Yeah. No, there it is. There it is and just, the one that's like... probably like, like staring into your soul right yeah. now. She's like yeah. coming at you. <laughs> Which also too, given the unique, I mean, you mentioned sort of you love that crowd aspect. Obviously we know the, the limited crowds and no crowds and everything, but obviously you're coached by your husband. So mm. therefore the, the one person you probably want to be there is there, but he's also helping you to that goal of, of, of a medal. I mean, kind of, was it extra unique there in Tokyo, given that like the the family element you would want to have afterwards isn't there and kind of Mike's really it and yeah. you can, everything that kind of came around that moment when you did get the medal? Yeah, I've been super lucky for both world champs and Olympic that Mike's been there to celebrate with me and gets to share in the moment as it happens um, and I get to share that moment with him. It's It's super special. And I think given everything that we go through to achieve those, like he has such a greater understanding and so much more depth in knowing what it takes to achieve those moments. So to be able to share them with him, um, he, he gets to celebrate as, as much as I do. And so he should, he's a big part of why I'm able to do what I do and um, the success I've had. So uh, this year was especially um, important, I guess, having him there, because as you said, like, no crowds, no spectators and no other family members. So um, I was one of the lucky ones that got to to really share the Olympic experience with him. Obviously, you kind of mentioned through there, you know, that that fear of she can do something on her final throw. You're obviously very <laughs> well known for that sort of final throw aspect. But in, in the final itself, so your fourth throw would have been good enough for a bronze. But that <laughs> final throw that ends up, what, five centimetres away from a silver. But it looked yep. pretty darn good from everyone's I mean, yep. I think everybody there was like, yeah, that's that's that's, that's better than a bronze. But, like, what <laughs> you, you'd mentioned that sort of moment watching it, but that judging moment, that whole period oh. where they've got to get this, you know, you're like, oh, oh, here we go. Like, you've known you got a medal, but at that point you're like, fuck, like, what different colour? What's that yeah. moment like? Yeah, uh, like, I think for me with this time round, I obviously knew it had fallen short of, 
uh, the gold medal. But I was like, oh, I was like, have I done it again? Have I done it again? <laughs> <laughs> there was like just this like ex- excitement as much as anything about like, yes, I just threw my best on my six. Like, could I just like scare everyone a little bit and be like, oh, she did it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, at that point in time, I, I had secured um, the bronze. So it was it was a bonus if I managed to to sneak that silver medal and to come within oh, was it four centimetres, five centimetres, like, Yes, it sounds like a lot on paper. And I think when you read the numbers, you're like, oh, that distance was clear. But when you look at it on a like a tape measure, it is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So um, I always forget that about javelin. Like you sometimes see results that are like two, three centimeters, sometimes maybe like 30 centimeters. And you're like, that's heaps. Not really. Like it, it's so tiny. I'm just I'm just looking for our video viewers. It's it's that much. So yeah. just, uh, don't I'm not trying to rub it in your face or anything, but yeah. I'm just saying for people just who really kind of want to see that, that's not much at all, right? That yeah. that's that's ridiculously small. But I mean it is the same thing. Yeah. I mean a sport of inches, sport of centimeters, millimeters, everything mm-hmm. along those lines. But I mean, is it also a level of freedom? Like you mentioned, you know you've got an Olympic medal at that point. It's not it's not like a qualification where you're like, I've got to make this or I'm not making the final or in Doha, like what I'm fourth. I need to pull something out of my mm. bag here to do it. So, like, is it more of a freedom level? Like, oh, my God, I'm coming away with an Olympic medal. Fuck it, just throw everything on the line, literally, to <laughs> to go out there and, and get a different colour. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I, I had never been in, in a position where I was actually kind of on a podium in my final round before, so I never experienced that. But I suppose I still wasn't quite satisfied with the bronze at that point in time. I was. It was more just the fact that it was like, you've got one more opportunity, like have, have a go, have a crack, like don't waste it being satisfied with the bronze. Like you, you literally get one more throw. Um, why not have a crack at trying to walk away with this gold medal here? As I said, this opportunity doesn't come around often enough to waste it. So I was still very focused and very, very intense in that sixth round on that that absolute goal of a gold medal and i'm really glad that i was able to maintain that um level of focus because as it still got me um an extra i think 50 centimeters in that final throw so yeah i'm i'm really happy with the way i competed in tokyo it's one of my best throws series um i've ever had and can't complain with a bronze medal at an olympic games well i was gonna say with that i mean you know, at the very beginning of this interview, we mentioned the, the, the famous line you say to Channel 7 afterwards. But, I, I mean, that's the great thing about those moments, though, is that's just showing just how emotional and how overwhelmed and everything because you've dreamed of the Olympics your entire life. You've won a medal, which is something that even less people achieve in their lives. I mean, yeah. has it been something that you've been able to even still right now, uh, you know, several months after the event, even just reflect and go, holy crap, like, and, and sort of pinch yourself more. I mean, is it, does it hit you at any point that you are an Olympic medalist? I've had a few moments actually. And I think I was, I was pretty hard on myself after winning, actually um, winning the bronze, because I still had moments where I guess I still felt like I fell short on what I was able to achieve this year. Like my distances weren't, weren't great. I really struggled with some technical issues. So I wasn't at my best and uh, there, I still had moments where I was like, damn, I really, I missed that opportunity again to, to throw my best in Olympic games. And then it would totally seesaw. And I'd feel like, wow, given the circumstances of this year, I'm 
really, really super happy and super proud of what I was able to achieve. So it was, it was a roller coaster for like a month after the games, just kind of like fighting to and froing a little bit. And uh, I think once the dust settled a bit on the Olympics and the season and everything that happened, um, I've definitely um, had time to appreciate and reflect on this year. And yeah, less about this like um, judgmental <laughs> moment where I was like, you didn't do it. Um, and more about like, yeah, cool. You freaking won an Olympic medal. Like yeah. have that forever. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, so, it's something just that you're always from now on when you enter a room, it's going to be like, bah, 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 Kelsey, bah, bah, Olympic medalist, world yeah. champion, you know, yeah. like it's kind of, it, it never, it never leaves you. I, I have to ask, I always ask this to all our guests who, who have won medals. What do you do with the medal? Like, have you, have you got a place for it yet? Is it something that you kind of working out? I mean, have you, I mean, you're not wearing it now, but I mean, you generally <laughs> take it off like an hour a day to breathe or are you still just wearing it all the time? Uh, so yeah, I do actually have my medals um, on display in my house. Uh, right. As I said, there's something I'm really proud of. And if nothing else, they actually motivate me um, in my training, um, especially on the days that are maybe a little bit harder. I'm feeling a little bit sore. I'm not feeling super motivated. Um, they are definitely a reminder as to one of the reasons why I love this sport and what I'm working towards. So yeah, I like to have them out. Um, they're, they're also, people like to see them and yeah. I, I like sharing them. Like they won, they're beautiful medals. Um, they're really, really cool to hold. So yeah, when people ask, I'm more than happy to share that. I just want to point out that, um, look, I, I've never remotely gotten close to an Olympics ever. Like, I mean, I'm still holding out hope. I mean, Andrew Hoy was 62, so, like, I've still got, I've still got time. <laughs> but um, I, rather than spending a large portion of my life being athletically gifted, I actually just spent $20 and went to Wish and got myself a gold. So if you want a gold, <laughs> um, just to, 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 to show it off, happy to hook you up. Uh, hey, you know, you've got so. the legit ribbon there. So Right. They, they put some effort. They put some effort into it on Wish for once. It wasn't one of these ones where you you know end up getting to some sort of you know crappy thing instead. But uh, I'm actually exactly. fun story. I think I'm about a 12 time Olympic gold medalist with my various other collections. So uh, if you <laughs> want to see my uh, Nagano 98 gold medal for winning the biathlon, I'm happy to share that with you Woo-hoo. too. Yes, yeah. get Very him out. You can take the photos. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, on on top of everything though, with that, like the thing that fascinates me with javelin in australia is that you were only our second ever medalist in the history of the olympics not even women men and women uh you know louise back in atlanta obviously got silver and the world championship gold you're our first ever world champion in the sport of javelin i mean do those things kind of mean a lot to you and then do you also hope that you can take that and sort of use it towards the future generation that say by brisbane that when you're winning gold in Brisbane, you've got a silver medalist and a bronze medalist behind you. You know, we are sweeping the podium in, in you know, a decade's time in Brisbane. It does actually mean a, a lot to me. And again, I think in those moments where I'm really hard and really like judgmental on my performances as an athlete, to sit back and say like, I was the ninth Australian ever to win a world championship. I'm the second Australian ever to win a javelin medal at an Olympics. Those are really high achievements. And I suppose they're the ones that I I maybe hold on to and kind of um, recognize a little bit because, you know, I said at the start of the interview, I I set my standards exceptionally high and they haven't always meant that, um, you know, they've actually (laughs) meant things have made myself 
harder for myself at times because I do set those standards so high. But I think it, it means that I'm very quick to judge myself harshly or um, always feel like I could do something better. Um, but it also means that I walked into this sport and I still hope to, in the next few years, keep striving to achieve these goals. But I want to walk away as one of the best ever. And I, yeah, I, I feel there's passion in that. There's something exciting about challenging myself to that extent. Um, and I've still got a few more years to, to continue doing that. And that's, I, I find that really exciting. And I look forward to that. That's what gets me up every day um, is to keep pushing those barriers and yeah, love to walk away from the sport feeling as though like I can, I can say I was one of the, the best javelin throwers ever. I really don't think we've had a guest on this show that has been as passionate about their sport as you. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think back and like, I love this. Like, I love it when anybody's passionate about their sport, but the fact that again, I mean, we started this off with you freaking love this sport. Like, yeah. I mean, this is just it's like, true. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I remember as a boy, maybe picking up a stick and throwing it going, that was kind of fun, but maybe I'm just going to go back inside and, and play with my cars. I don't know. But like you freaking love throwing sticks. I love this. I, I live for this event. Like, uh, there are moments just even talking about it. Like I get teary thinking about it. I get goosebumps talking about it. Um, yeah, I, and yeah, I'm really excited that I've still got, um, a number of years left to, to continue doing this because as I said, I wouldn't, there is nothing else I'd want to do right now. Um, I still love the element of traveling, um, and being on the road as part of the sport and, the circuit and most of all i love the world i love the championship meets i love the world championships and i love the olympics um they as i said there's a, there's just a sense of professional expert being around other athletes who are trying to achieve the same thing um that gets me very excited each time i'm there well, we're going to close out with a series of exciting fun questions in just a moment before <laughs> before i do just a couple of quick things the one question that you i'm sure have been asked so many times you're sick of um answering it but i'm going to ask it to you anyway because it would be my job to do it paris 2024 i'm assuming you love this sport so much you've you've basically already got your tickets booked you already got your eiffel tower you know uh, restaurant seats reserved and everything <laughs> for 2024 right <laughs> i'm there i am there <laughs> as long you're as there. my body's healthy i am there <laughs> And, and I mean, mentioning our, our chat with Matt, like Matt very much was like, I'm going to be a five-time Olympian and he's going to end his career in Brisbane. How How is that kind of with that, that you know, caveat there that, you know, at, at some point very soon in a basically 10 years, we're going to have a home Olympics. Can that be something that is achievable for yourself, do you think? Like is, is, is it something that if you just keep the body in shape and kind of keep pushing forward that that really would be a, a great goal to kind of end an Olympic career at a home Olympics? To be totally honest, there are um, women who are now um, still competing 39, 40, 41, I think maybe even 42. Like it's physically very capable of doing it if you can um, keep your body healthy. Uh, it's, I think the big one, and for female athletes, it's um, I want to start a family eventually and that's going to play into how long my career goes for. Um, I'm not to say that I'll just sort of say, cool, I'm done. This is it. I don't want to be a javelin thrower anymore. Um, I think I'll probably be more inclined to say like, cool, I'd really like to start a family. And if I can, I'll come back to throwing and see where I go from there. Um, so yeah, there's, there's kind of a lot of things to consider um, before we start talking beyond 2024, but the next three years are a definite um, for me. Uh, if I don't end up in well, it's probably unlikely I'll be in Paris, um, in Brisbane competing, but I'd like to be there in some capacity, whether it's um, 
in still part of athletics as a coach or a support coach or a manager or something, I, I still want to be part of this sport um, for many years to come. I was just going to quickly say, you know, no disrespect to our American listeners, but you can skip LA, like, you know, get the gold in Paris, <laughs> start the family, kind of have some years off and then, you know, maybe 2028, 2029, start working. Roll and then boom. Back in. Yeah. Peak to 2032, right? You know, like. I can't tell you how exciting it would be to compete on home soil at an Olympic Games. I yeah. that, that would be one of the goals in life. It's a journey too that, that the Olympic goal started by arriving in Australia seeing oh, Sydney. Oh, no, what a story. You know, like okay. it, it bookends itself. Like, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> yeah, it really, really does. And, I mean, on that too, sort of I mentioned Birmingham, but, like, obviously the, the Commonwealth Games are, what, like a week or two after the World Championships in Oregon. Mm. Like, I mean, how do you balance that? Like, is it something that you go, okay, well, I can do this and do that? Do you take precedence over the World Championships over Com Games or are you still kind of working that out? Uh, no, next year's, uh, well, World Championships obviously uh, got a title to defend, but I very much want to get that gold um, at Com Games as well. So two very, like, high-priority events. We know what the schedule is going to look like, so we make it work. It makes it work. As I said, bronze in Glasgow, silver in the Gold Coast, gold in Birmingham. It makes <laughs> sense. It's kind of that that build-up. And, and one thing that this is this comes from our co-host, Jared, who, who couldn't be with us on the show today, I remember during our Tokyo coverage when I'll admit I may have accidentally forgotten all of our javelin throwers in the final. <laughs> I was trying to remember who each of you were, so I will hold my hand up and apologize for that. But when, when we were working that out, Jared's first thing was like, which is the one who is in that ad throwing <laughs> against her brother? So... It is you, of course. Now, when I when I look this ad up and sort of, you know, watch it again and everything, the one thing I love when you type it into Google is, is Greg really Kelsey yeah. Lee's brother? <laughs> <laughs> so can you clarify this? Is Greg, but Greg, Greg, Greg. I'm wondering this question. <laughs> no, I do not have a brother named Greg. <laughs> oh, ruined. Oh, uh, no. I know. But it was so much fun and I um, <laughs> I had so much fun with how that ad played out and everything involved with it. Like, awesome, awesome to be a part of and I had so much fun with it. Do you get shit tons of free beef? <laughs> no, so that was just um, a, an ad for specifically for like the Olympic campaign because they're a sponsor of the of the team. So right. um, I was a, the very lucky athlete to be um, asked to be part of that. They're not just, you know, backing up a couple of cows on your front lawn, <laughs> like going, well done for the beef and extra one for your bronze in Tokyo. I was away for too many months to enjoy it anyway. <laughs> I, do, I just, I did kind of want to come into this going, Greg, 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 but um, no, that would be cliche now, wouldn't it? We couldn't do that. Cliche, silly things on this show. Why not ride now, the wave? It was, it was great fun. I enjoyed it. Do people, did, did any of your teammates chant that in the crowd? Like when you're going there for your last row, Greg, 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 Greg. <laughs> no, it didn't, didn't come up in the team. There's always just an, uh, you know, like an Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Um, that always right. gets a good run. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm telling you now, when I'm in that crowd at the Gabba in so 2032, I can hear you, you I'm going to be the one. Like, Greg, 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 Greg. Um, as I said, we, we close off with a series of kind of fun, silly, random questions. Now, these are based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. And I'm always excited when I can use a questionnaire filled out by somebody from the same sport 
and I found someone and somebody who, by looking into this, you've competed against multiple times, beaten her a couple of Commonwealth Games, <laughs> uh, Liz Gleedle. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I now, don't know who this is. Yeah. Now, now are, you, are you friends with Liz? Like, do you sort of, you know, hang out with her afterwards, throw some sticks together with some beers? Or is she just kind of like, nah, she's that Canadian enemy I've got to beat every No, no, actually, um, Liz has been one of the girls that has been on the tour with me um, since the very beginning. So we have quite quite a good friendship and she's always the one to kind of look out for um, right. when we meet up every year. So, yeah, All this right. is cool. I will compare some of her answers. Now, as, or as I always say, there, there's an optional drawing element uh, because this was a, a handwritten questionnaire. So if you feel the urge, we've had a couple of bobsledders do this before. <laughs> so um, you could be the first summer athlete to do this. So straight away, Liz here has uh, drawn a picture of herself. She's mm-hmm. drawn what looks like a, it's almost like a cave painting of sort of somebody with a, an arrow. Oh, yep, yep. Um, And she's written, that's the best I got. Ha ha. So... Hey, that, that kind of works. All right, your favourite ever Olympic moment is? That Channel 7 interview. I freaking love this one. <laughs> yes. Oh, good answer. I love it. Wow. I feel like I need to open this interview uh, with that, right? We'll play We'll play the clip. Uh, Liz's answer was Simon Whitfield winning his gold. That was uh, Sydney. I remember that. That was uh, the oh, first yeah. ever triathlon. Remember that one. Uh, if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Oh, I'd love to go back to London. Yeah? Uh, I'm sad I missed that Olympics. I think that would be wonderful. She's answered Rome, so you're both in the European mindset there mm, yep. in your spare time what do you most like to do cooking cooking Love. hey yep. you're with liz she <laughs> likes to cook as well so Ooh, there okay. you go do you have a special dish a dish that you sort of go uh, to i always or? enjoy more uh thai flavored dishes that's probably like lean towards those sorts of elements nice so, okay yeah anything with a bit of spice in it you know whose house to go to if we want some good Thai food all of a sudden. Um, the weirdest instruction, and this is going to be extra funny, I feel, given that your coach is your husband, the weirdest instruction a coach has ever given you. Oh. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Probably too many of them. <laughs> all of them are weird. Oh, no. The weirdest instruction. I feel like it's going to have something to do with, like, the way I move my feet or something. <laughs> nothing nothing comes to mind though. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's throw, you-, oh, you know what he has said to me? It's just like, just fucking throw the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what I've been doing wrong. Ah, oh, shit. There Damn, we that's go. what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, that, that reminds me of like when I used to watch football with my grandmother and you'd be watching it and she'd go, just kick it, just kick it. And I'm like, I think that's what they're doing, Nan. But yeah. hey, we'll pass on the message. Um, we'll, cool. try, we'll try. I and forgot get that. that's why I'm here. That's yes. what I'm doing. Exactly. Uh, your favorite workout is? Oh, throwing definitely. Throwing. throwing. Outside of throwing, it'd have to be like my big, big gym days um, with an Olympic lift involved in it. Great. Well, what is an Olympic lift? Like to me, an Olympic lift is lifting something that's like five kilos, as you can tell by like, these <laughs> guns. But you know. Oh, I'm talking like. Um, a snatch movement or right. um, a heavy back squat or something like that. Is it, I, I, I've asked this a few times, but like when you're in the Olympic village and you're in the gym, do you sometimes play like guess the athlete, like guess what sport they're from? So oh, like you, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the time. And are there some that you just look at and you have like, I have no fucking clue what that person does. 
Yeah. Oh, it comes up occasionally. And then sometimes you can, from 50 meters away, pick the athlete based um, off their physique or sometimes how they walk as well. It's, yep. it's quite fun. Yes, the sport. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that, that's that's yeah. a fun game, I think, that really uh, people should play. If you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? Um, It'd probably have to be like a chef. So I'd either say like Jamie Oliver or... Ooh. Donna Hay. Yes. But would you, would you like, because they'd be in the kitchen cooking. Mm. So, like, you couldn't really. I'm not talk cooking. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to, but like, you can't really talk to them, though, until they sit down, right? Like, and then. Oh, no. You know, like, I would be in amongst it. Like, right. Oh, in, you'd be in the kitchen with them, like. It, and then we can both sit down and enjoy the meal. Hey, that that's clever. So, not mm-hmm. only are you then getting good food, you're getting good conversation. So, mm. I like this. I like Teaching this. Teaching me about flavors and textures and. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, your favorite sandwich is? I am do enjoy a Reuben. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're good. Yes. That doesn't get answered much, but no, <laughs> I'm a ball with that. I like it. Um, yeah. Now, the next drawing one, if you want to, draw a picture of a Canadian animal. We can make that Australian animal. Um, and, and Liz has drawn an albino bear in a snowstorm. So she's oh. left it. <laughs> Left right. a blank. Yeah, an albino beaver. I was going to say because I was going to. Isn't an albino bear a polar bear? But it's actually beaver. So I just, um, I just apparently can't read. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I, I think I'd always go back to flying. Yeah. I'd like. I think I'd like to experience that. That would be pretty cool. That's it. That's it a good suits one. my event as well, doesn't it? Like yeah, watching exactly. the javelin fly. I'd like to have a sense of how that feels. <laughs> yeah, you could just like re- literally recreate. What's it like? You talk to your javelin. So what's this like? All right, I'm going to yeah. experience it. You know, <laughs> experience Actually, it. on on that when we had um, Eleanor Patterson on and we talked, like, do you talk to the bar? Like, I want to jump over the bar. Do you ever like talk to your javelin and be like, come <gasps> on, you little shit, you are not go the through the air? To ask me this, and I had <laughs> never even considered that this was a thing. But no, I do. Not not talk to my javelins. <laughs> oh, come on. You're missing out. Like, I'm yeah. sure you can make friends with it. Like, you know, talk. <laughs> yeah, give it a name. You could call it Ben. Call it just, Ben for Paris. Just give it a little nudge to say, like, oh, come on, let's, let's get this one. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. That works that way. Um, The best candy in the world is. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. I, uh, I am a fan of, like, sour worms. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, like any of those like jelly lollies, they they have to be pretty high on the list. Yep, pretty high up there. Uh, I'm just seeing here that Liz is saying uh, blue live wire, weirdly plastic but delicious. Uh, don't know what that is. Okay, I know what that thing. is. Yeah, unsure of that one. As a kid, your favourite sports team was? Oh, uh, I definitely followed um, like the Brumbies in rugby union, still do today. So, yep. and they're probably like the team I remember following from like an early age. And do you kind of feel weird when it comes to a World Cup? Like, are, are you just purely Wallabies or do you kind of have to go, oh, Springboks? Oh, like, Aussie all the way. No. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, just, just green and gold through and through. Clarifying there. Correct answer. All right. <laughs> um, your favorite sports movie is? Ah. Oh. Does cool runnings count? Of course it counts. It's yeah. the standard. It should be the standard answer. Like, I mean, you know, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, 
Is, is there, and I always ask this when there's not an obvious one that I can think of, is there a Javelin movie that you know of or are there like documentaries maybe mm-hmm. on some Javelin throws oh, they're on definitely, Netflix? Or? They're definitely, um, there are docos and probably docos based around, like well, definitely docos based around the Olympics, but maybe not not Javelin specific. But Okay. Yeah. We'll make it happen. The Kelsey Lee Barber story coming soon to Stan in 2025 or, you know, like, <laughs> Channel 7, sorry, yeah, I'm bored of it. 32, you're going to have the whole story. Oh, yeah, exactly. What would that be, like three-time gold medalist, four-time <laughs> Olympian, you know, ten-time world champion, kind of works that way. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Uh, somewhere in Switzerland. Ah, okay. Yeah. That was that was quick. Just just like the the scenery, like the neutrality, like the chocolates, the oh, cheese. So, uh, the, all of those <laughs> things. I mean, it's a combination of like... The the air, the the chocolate, um, uh, the landscape, yeah, uh, I, it's one of my favorite places to to visit and compete in every year. And what what's the javelin scene like in Switzerland? Is there you know a, a strong javelin uh, history in Switzerland that you know of? Not not specifically javelin, but the Swiss love athletics, and it they are some of the best places to compete just because the crowd gets so involved and you feel so loved, even though they might not know who you are specifically. It's kind of right. just like get get in and amongst it and appreciate athletics and appreciate the athleticism of these athletes and what they're doing. Like it's it's awesome. Like there you go. Zurich Diamond nice. League meet is one of my favorites all time. Hello to all our Swiss listeners uh, mm. to listening to the show today. Uh, when, I love this question. When, when when you were little, what was one thing you always thought? Oh. Mm. oh. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to answer this question. It's deep. I'll, I'll tell you. So Liz says, <laughs> my dad played for the Vancouver Canucks, didn't realise it was a real team. <laughs> well, I, I, I still doubt that. There, Liz. No offense to our connection. Um, but yeah, no, I, mm, I would need some time to think about that one. Uh, okay, give some homework for you. Yeah, you can answer that before Paris. <laughs> that's ooh, a ooh. deep question. That's I know, a, right? It's like going back <laughs> far out. I did the best answer I think we ever got to that was I'm hungry because uh, I just was always <laughs> hungry as a kid. So, um, the maybe, last maybe one, mine would have been like, oh, how did I get that scratch? Where'd that yeah. come from? <laughs> I hurt myself again. Like <laughs> uh, the last one. This is this is one that you've always either got or I feel you don't. Mm. That is your favorite joke to tell is. No, I've got nothing. No, there. <laughs> no joke. All right. Okay. That's nothing, I'm the nothing worst at remembering those things. <laughs> well, Liz is inappropriate one-liners at the dinner table. So. <laughs> is that is that common like when you're this. around Liz? She's always like dropping inappropriate things. Yeah. Like, wow. That's okay. classic. I enjoy I enjoy listening to them, and I'll very much be that person like <laughs> laugh crying in the corner. Um, but I'm not one to retell them. Okay. All right. Good. To, good to know. Uh, before we let you go, anywhere that people right now listening or watching uh, can follow you, social media. Uh, you've got a great website if you want to plug that as well. I mean, kind of yeah, feel actually, free to plug whatever you like. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Over the last couple of months, I've um, worked pretty hard to keep everything uh, nice and organised. So everything's at Kelsey Lee Barber now. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook and my new website, which uh, only went live a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's all um, Kelsey Lee Barber which is awesome. I'm me as myself and you get to follow uh, my journey. 
It's great. I tell you now, like, uh, you know, it's, it's rare actually I find that people just have a website now. It's kind of very social media driven. But when, when yeah. it's all there, it makes my job easier. I don't have to rely on Wikipedia. But uh, <laughs> it, it also, yeah, I mean, it's very well put together. Um, it, it's great. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thank your uh, website people for putting it together. Yeah, my definitely... team, um, Pat and um, managers at Jam, did an awesome job putting that together. And, yeah, if you haven't had a look, had a look yet, certainly um, check it out. Is the beef ad on here? I don't see the beef ad. Where's the beef ad? Come on, <laughs> social great, media. Great, Look at my great, social media. Great. If you haven't yet seen that, it, it is a good laugh, um, and it's on my Instagram um, to have a have a look through there. Well, uh, Kelsey, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today to to learn more about your journey, learn that Greg's sadly not your brother, and learn that this t-shirt business is going to be uh, booming. But uh, we'll be cheering you on for uh, both Oregon and, and, of course, Birmingham for, for 2022, then 2024, 2028, 2032. Bugger it, 2036, you'll be there still too. But uh, we really uh, do very much appreciate your time on uh, Off the Podium with us today. Uh, thank you so much. It's been really fun. I've um, really enjoyed everything. And a massive, massive thanks to Kelsey Lee there for her time here on the show, such a fun, fun chat. And I will just say, actually, too, that if you want to see the video of this chat, you can now. We are on YouTube. I think we uh, mentioned a little bit of it during the uh, Olympics in Beijing. So you can uh, head to YouTube, search her off the podium, and you can see the video. If you want to see my face and you want to see Kelsey Lee's face during this chat, it is uh, there available for you to see. So uh, there you go. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun learning a lot about Javelin and uh, everything else in between. And there's a few T-shirts that I might be uh, putting on my list ready to buy at uh, some point. But we've got some great stuff coming your way here on Off the Podium, of course, as we uh, know, recovered from Beijing. So we'll be looking at bringing you some more athlete interviews, potentially from Beijing athletes, also some summer ones, mixing it up a little bit. Uh, Clearly, we've been very, very busy, essentially, between Tokyo and Beijing with so many episodes in the lead up to uh, both Beijing and, I guess, after Tokyo. So we won't be quite as frequent as we have been probably in the last six or so months. We'll be slowing down slightly to maybe an episode a week or even an episode a month just to take a bit of a breather. But when we do have interviews and other episodes, you will see them. We're not going to try and take a 12-month gap. I think we had at one point there between the Gold Coast Games in 2018 all the way through to when Tokyo was postponed. And of course, as you heard us talk about during the Beijing coverage, we'll be doing an episode on the Paralympics for Beijing. And later this year, of course, we'll be doing another Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games episode. What that will look like, we're not too sure whether or not we'll do what we did back in Gold Coast where we had multiple episodes or maybe we'll just do a rap episode. We'll be working that out, of course, as we go along. If you want to follow all these episodes and stay up to date with everything to do with Off The Podium, social media, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and, of course, subscribe to the podcast. We're all good podcasts and find, found, find, found, one of those. Uh, search for Off The Podium and you'll be able to subscribe, leave us rating feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Big thanks again to Kelsey Lee Barber for her time on the show and to her management as well, I should say, for arranging that interview. Until we next speak again, my name is Ben. Big shout-out to Jason Momoa as always. And remember, go left.
What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, Off the Podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.